Um, it's very much what we want to make of it. So if you have any questions or observations, then please do just jump in. And those could be questions about the technical aspects of running a blog or tweeting or um, questions about how plots and characters are rerouted through Twitter. So to start, um, John is just going to tell us a little bit about the Being Human Festival that this event is part of. So thank you. Yes, and there are some of the, the chunky uh, brochures um, and the badges, um, I am human, um, to, to, to be worn in a celebratory rather than an explanatory. <laughs> and um, so this is the second year that the School of Advanced Study um, at the University of London, based in the Senate House, has coordinated with monies from the British Academy, AHRC, and uh, the Wellcome Trust, um, a national festival of the humanities. Um, and... We at the University of Buckingham took part uh, last year as an unfunded participant um, and uh, this year we got in early enough um, to get a little bit of, of, of funding so I think um, eventually the catering is going to be a courtesy of the festival uh, support. Um, and we've actually run four events this week of which this is the, the final uh, one, the culmination. Um, Saturday at Buckingham um, we explored the uh, creation of the Dickens Journals Online Project, um, which put Dickens's weekly magazines online in an, an access format. And we had some of our original text correctors and moderators who joined in the collaborative work on correcting the OCR, the, um, the machine rate transcription, um, including um, a, a lady who'd flown over from New York, uh, specifically a moderator, uh, to take part and then flew away the next day. Um, and it was great because it, part of the idea of this was to see whether digital communities and virtual communities actually had a human counterpart and whether those kind of links um, and um, online friendships and, and relationships actually sort of translated into an event. Um, and we had a very good focus group um, talking about that project. Um, and then Pete ran... Um, um, project or a, a workshop mm -hmm. at the Charles Dickens Museum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just just batting over. Um, I'm not prepared for this. I have no notes. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've been running the, the Drood Inquiry, which is about the mystery of Edwin Drood, and trying to complete that unfinished uh, novel. And because as part of that, I've been curating an exhibition at the Dickens Museum, which closes today. <laughs> Oh, uh, it was like a nice just kind of safe about that as well. So it was, it was a, an intimate group returning <laughs> there too, where we, we discussed it and talked about what was happening. And um, yeah, it was, it was good to just, again go over what it meant, what the purpose was, what we could do with it again in the future of other books or other Dickens too. Which is, I think, is a question to ask of this well. Does this work just for Dickens or could it be for other projects too? What else could this apply to? And then on Thursday at the University of Leicester, um, which co-ran um, with, with us the um, reserialisations of the Tale of Two Cities and Wilkie Collins' No Name. Um, some of the, the chief posters um, on that, Joanne Shattuck and Gail Marshall, um, and myself, and some master's students and uh, PhD students, we all talked about that project and digital Dickens and how that worked. Um, and so we finally end up here this afternoon with a project that's taken on a huge and vibrant life of its own. So, so the young, our mutual friend reading project um, grew out of uh, those previous two reading projects, the Tale of Two Cities project in 2012, and then the following year, the Wilkie Collins No Name project. 
and uh, the Unmutual Friend project was almost identical in form. Uh, we read scans of the monthly instalments of the novel, and um, these are some of the fabulous adverts uh, you'll find at the start of each monthly instalment. Dozens and dozens of pages. So on the first of the month, we read the monthly instalment, and the novel was originally serialised from April 1864 to November 1865, and we followed it exactly 150 years later, from April 2014 to November 2015. So we've just finished. So this is one of the culminating events. We are actually going to have a celebratory event on the 11th of December to mark the end of the project. And also coincides with the 10th anniversary of 19, uh, which is Birkbeck's free online academic journal of uh, 19th century studies. That's 10 years old this month. So, like the other projects, we read the monthly instalments and then we had a WordPress blog. And on the 1st and the 15th of the month, we had an official blog post. Um, oh, there we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then people were free to comment on the blog. And then but the, the sort of innovative aspect of this project was that Emma Curry here had the brilliant idea of retelling the story via Twitter. So um, we've got a bunch of people involved to tweet as characters, and Emma's going to tell us a bit more about that in a moment. So what we're going to open with is a reading from the novel, um, which Tony has uh, very kindly offered to do for us. And this is, I mean, just for the sheer pleasure of hearing some Dickens on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. But it also has a, it does have a purpose because Emma's then going to talk a little bit about the Twitter project and then we are going to hear the same scene but in its Twitter version. So we have some of the characters from that scene. Uh, it's Mr. Podsnap's party and they, they have a script composed of tweets. We've never done this before. Should have done the project itself. But we just thought it would be really interesting to actually hear these things aloud. To, we know that Dickens was often read aloud and they gave public readings and so we thought why not try it with our, our Twitter retelling as well. Um, so over to Tony. Thank you. So this is from book one, chapter 11, called Snappery. <laughs> the Potsnaps lived in a shady angle adjoining Portman Square. They were a kind of people certain to dwell in the shade wherever they dwelled. Miss Potsnap's life had been, from her first appearance on this planet, altogether of a shady order. For Mr. Potsnap's young person was likely to get little good out of association with other young persons and had therefore been restricted to companionship with not very congenial older persons and with massive furniture. <laughs> Miss Podsnap's early views of life being principally derived from the reflections of it in her father's boots and in the walnut and rosewood tables of the dim drawing rooms and in their swarthy giants of looking glasses whereof a sombre cast. 
And it was not wonderful that now, when she was on most days solemnly tooled through the park by the side of her mother in a great tall custard-coloured phaeton, she showed above the apron of that vehicle like a dejected young person, sitting up in bed to take a startled look at things in general and very strongly desiring to get her head under the counterpane again. Said Mr. Podsnap to Mrs. Podsnap, Georgiana is almost 18. Said Mrs. Podsnap to Mr. Podsnap, assenting, almost 18. Said Mr. Podsnap then to Mrs. Podsnap, really I think we should have some people on Georgiana's birthday said Mrs. Podsnap then to Mr. Podsnap, which will enable us to clear off all those people who are due. <laughs> so it came to pass that Mr. and Mrs. Podsnap requested the honour of the company of 17 friends of their souls at dinner, and that they substituted other friends of their souls for such of the 17 original friends of their souls as deeply regretted that a prior engagement prevented their having the honour of dining with Mr. and Mrs. Podsnap in pursuance of their kind invitation. And that Mrs. Podsnap said of all these inconsolable personages, as she checked them off with a pencil on her list, asked at any rate and got rid of. <laughs> and that they successfully disposed of a good many friends of their souls in this way. <laughs> and felt their consciences much lightened. There were still other friends of their souls who were not entitled to be asked to dinner, but had a claim to be invited to come and take a haunch of mutton vapour bath at half past nine. For the clearing off of these worthies, Mrs. Podsnap added a small and early evening to the dinner and looked in at the music shop to bespeak a well-conducted automaton to come and play quadrilles for a carpet dance. Mr and Mrs Veneering and Mr and Mrs Veneering's brand new bride and bridegroom were of the dinner company. But the Podsnap establishment had nothing else in common with the Veneerings. Mr Podsnap could tolerate taste in a mushroom man who stood in need of that sort of thing, but was far above it himself. <laughs> Hideous solidity was the characteristic of the Podsnap plate. <laughs> Everything was made to look as heavy as it could and to take up as much room as possible. Everything said boastfully, here you have as much of me in my ugliness as if I were only lead, but I am so many ounces of precious metal worth so much an ounce. Wouldn't you like to melt me down? <laughs> a corpulent, straddling epern blotched all over as if it had broken out in an eruption rather than been ornamented, delivered this address from an unsightly silver platform in the centre of the table. Four silver wine coolers, each furnished with four staring heads, each head obtrusively carrying a big silver ring in each of its ears, conveyed the sentiment up and down the table and handed it on to the pot-bellied silver salt cellars. All the big silver spoons and forks, 
widened the mouths of the company expressly for the purpose of thrusting the sentiment down their throats with every morsel they had. The majority of the guests were like the plate and included several heavy articles weighing ever so much. <laughs> but there was a foreign gentleman among them whom Mr. Podsnap had invited after much debate with himself, believing the whole European continent to be in mortal alliance against the young person. <laughs> and there was a droll disposition, not only on the part of Mr. Podsnap, but of everybody else, to treat him as if he were a child who was hard of hearing. <laughs> as a delicate concession to this unfortunately born foreigner, Mr. Podsnap, in receiving him, had presented his wife as Madame Podsnap, also his daughter, as Mademoiselle Podsnap, with some inclination to add Ma Fille, in which bold venture, however, he checked himself. The Veneerings being at that time the only other arrivals, he had added, in a condescendingly explanatory manner, Monsieur Veneering, and had then subsided into English. <laughs> How do you like London? Mr. Podstap now inquired from his station of host, as if he were administering something in the nature of a powder or potion to the deaf child. <laughs> London, Londres, London. The foreign gentleman admired it. You find it very large, said Mr. Podsnap, spaciously. The foreign gentleman found it very large. And very rich, the foreign gentleman found it, without doubt, enormous rich. <laughs> Enormously rich, we say, returned Mr. Podsnap in a condescending manner. Our English adverbs do not terminate in mong, and we pronounce the ch as if there was a t before it. We say rich. Rich, remarks the foreign gentleman. And do you find, sir, pursued Mr. Podsnap with dignity, many evidences that strike you of our British constitution in the streets of the world's metropolis, London, Londres, London. <laughs> the foreign gentleman begged to be pardoned, but did not altogether understand. The Constitution Britannique, Mr. Polsnap explained, as if he were teaching in an infant school. We say British, but you say Britannique, you know. <laughs> forgivingly as if that were not his fault <laughs> the constitution sir the foreign gentleman said may yes I know you <laughs> a youngish sallowish gentleman in spectacles with a lumpy forehead seated in a supplementary chair at the corner of the table here caused a profound sensation by saying in a raised voice Esca and then stopping dead. <laughs> May we, said the foreign gentleman, turning towards him, Esca, quite all. But the gentleman with the lumpy forehead, having for the time delivered himself of all that he found behind his lumps, spake for the time, no more. 
I was inquiring, said Mr. Podsnap, resuming the thread of his discourse, whether you have observed in our streets, as we should say, upon our patty, as you would say, any tokens, foreign gentlemen with patient courtesy, entreated pardon, but what was tokens? Marks, said Mr. Podsnap, signs, you know, appearances. Traces. Ah, of a horse. <laughs> we call it horse, said <laughs> with forbearance. In England, Angleterre, England, we aspirate the H and we say horse. Only our lower classes say horse. <laughs> Pardon, said the foreign gentleman. I am always wrong. <laughs> Our language, said Mr. Podsnap, with a gracious consciousness of being always right, is difficult. Ours is a copious language and trying to strangers. I will not pursue my question. But the lumpy gentleman, unwilling to give it up, again madly said, escape. <laughs> it merely referred, Mr. Podsnap explained, with a sense of meritorious proprietorship, to our constitution, sir. We Englishmen are very proud of our constitution, sir. It was bestowed upon us by Providence. No other country is so favoured as this country. And other countries. The foreign gentleman was beginning when Mr. Podsnap put him right again. We do not say other, we say other. The letters are T and H. You say T and H, you know, still with clemency. <laughs> the sound is th, th, and other countries, said the foreign gentleman. They do how? They do, sir, returned Mr. Podsnap, gravely shaking his head. They do, I am sorry to be obliged to say it, as they do. <laughs> it was a little particular of Providence, said the foreign gentleman, laughing, for the frontier is not large. <laughs> Undoubtedly, assented Mr. Podsnap, but so it is. It was the charter of the land. This island was blessed, sir, to the direct exclusion of such other countries as, as there may happen to be. <laughs> and if we were all Englishmen present, I would say, added Mr. Podsnap, looking round upon his compatriots and sounding solemnly with his theme, that there is in the Englishman a combination of qualities, a modesty, an independence, a responsibility, a repose, combined with an absence of everything calculated to call a blush into the cheek of a young person, which one would seek in vain among the nations of the earth. Having delivered this little summary, Mr. Podsnap's face flushed 
as he thought of the remote possibility of its being at all qualified by any prejudiced citizen of any other country. And with his favourite right arm flourish, he put the rest of Europe and the whole of Asia, Africa, and America, nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Emma is going to talk for a couple of minutes about uh, the Twitter project. Actually, that maybe to kind of segue from <laughs> one to the other, maybe we should have the meeting sure. first, and then I'll, I'll kind of be my spiel about the project. Um, so we're very lucky to have some distinguished speakers <laughs> in the room um, who are going to read this out for us brilliantly. Uh, the, way <laughs> um, the way that it plays out um, on Twitter. Shall we introduce ourselves, our characters? Oh, yes, well, that's we, probably a good no. Well, we're not playing our characters yet, are we? So, we, do we. I don't know. Because okay. char- my, my character says I can get the other characters. Um, but, um, okay. that's where. Uh, so, we have, so Jonathan playing Mr. Podnell. Mm-hmm. Lara's playing Mrs. Podnell. Um, Beatrice is playing Lumpy Forehead. Pete is our narrator. And uh, Helen is. Yeah, this is. Um, <laughs> her name is Georgiana. And Kit, most importantly of all, is the foreign gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. clears throat> Our daughter's 18. An excuse for a party. Mrs. Podsnap and I have requested the honour of, com- of the company of 17 friends of our souls at dinner. We have substituted other friends of our souls for such of the originals as deeply regretted, prior engagements, etc, etc. We have thus successfully disposed of many good friends of our souls who were due and feel our consciences much lightened. If you were asked to Georgiana's birthday celebration and chose to be unavailable, (laughs) you can consider yourself dispensed with. I feel lighter. (laughs) A French gentleman preparing himself for an entrance into English society. Before the party, or oh, no, the play of Cassette's journey. See, to law, you wear the phrase book. Mon ami gave me a book to help my anglais. Hard times by Charles Dickens. <laughs> Never heard of you. <laughs> and Charlotte Bronte by Jane Eyre. Too hard. The Podsnaps look forward to displaying their social talents. I have been training our young daughter in the art of sociability at parties. In this vein, I am really rather accomplished. I am accomplished in the arts of scintillating conversation and memorable fashion. Do note my headdress at the party. (laughs) And of course, there is to be a carpet dance. I've hired an automaton for the quadrilles. I love dancing. Georgiana needs practice. <coughs> to know me is to love me. <laughs> Mr. Podsnap, of course. Mr. Podsnap. On the night of the event, our continental friend is struggling to navigate London. Alors, must try to find the house of Miss, Monsieur Podsnap. Londres, pardon, London. 
so loud. <laughs> Must take in good taste of them. <laughs> Bomb! My English has improved so much. I will be able to have such good talks with the people at Monsieur Podsnap's soiree. Luckily, he finds his way to the front door. Finalement, found Monsieur Podsnap's maison. He must be so rich. <laughs> <laughs> Looks through window. The furniture is so large. <laughs> As the gentleman enters the party, Mr. Podsnap is reflecting on the differences between England and the rest of the world. Other countries are a mistake. <laughs> with the important reservation that my business is sustained upon commerce with other countries. <laughs> the manners and customs of other countries are not English. Hashtag presto. Hashtag flourish of the arm. Hashtag I am sure. <laughs> I must practice mon anglais so other guests sees food. Ah, so sees on the stick. Mon <laughs> 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 Luckily, Mr. Podsnap steps in to introduce his friends. May I present Madame Podsnap and Mademoiselle Podsnap. Mafi. I have the oral. No, pardon. Honor. Of meeting with you. Your house is so large. <laughs> also, Monsieur Vaynerin. Helpfully, Mr. Podsnap steps in with a quick tip on English pronunciation. We do not say whiz. We say whiz. The letters are T and H. You say T and H. The sound is th. Elsewhere, Mrs. Podsnap also has some advice on hosting a successful party. When the gentleman asked me to play a little something on the piano, I obliged. Always be ready with something rather extravagant. As the dancing begins, poor Georgiana is compelled to be involved. I saw that Georgiana really must dance. Conversing with pleasant gentlemen, never mind his glass eye. <laughs> I provided introductions. Mr. Grumpus should dance with Georgiana. The pianist is ready. I simply must make introductions. Ugh, forced to dance twice. My prayers go unheard. <laughs> Georgiana, I prefer to think of it as given the opportunity to dance. <laughs> yes, Ma, and what an opportunity it was. Meanwhile, our continental friend is still locked in conversation with Mr. B. How do you like London? <laughs> London. Londres? London? Mais j'aime bien Londres. Thanks. Not as good as Paris, Paris, Paris. It's the best country on the earth. But Paris isn't English, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Thinks Paris est la nation la plus grande, rich et large of the earth. <laughs> we pronounce the sh as if it, there were a t before it. We say rich. This island was blessed, sir, to the direct exclusion of such other countries as there may happen to be. And other countries? If we were all Englishmen present, I would say that there is in the Englishman a combination of qualities. 
a modesty, an independence, a responsibility, a repose. Combined with an absence of everything calculated to call a blush into the cheek of a young person, which we would seek in vain among other nations of the earth. Hashtag satisfaction with oneself, hashtag Providence loves England. <laughs> no one is sure how to respond to that. Luckily, a young gentleman decides the time is right to test his own language skills. Clear his throat. Esco? Esco quoi? Silence. Cough. Cough. Esker. Oh dear. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mrs. Podsnap takes a photo of proceeding for posterity. Okay. <laughs> 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 party. It's all going great. <laughs> okay. Thank you for this, my dear. A picture is worth a thousand words, don't you think? Mrs. Podsnap, the dancing at this party is reminiscent of a. Revolving funeral. Very nice. Hashtag Providence loves England. <laughs> Potsnap has another attempt at conversation with the French gentleman. Do you find, sir, many striking evidences of our British constitution in the streets of the world's metropolis? Oh, qu'est-ce qu'il m'a dit? Monsieur, mon anglais est très simple. The constitution britannique. We say British. But you say Britannique, you know. The Constitution, sir. I was inquiring whether you have observed on our streets, upon our pavy, as you would say, any tokens, marks, signs, appearances, traces. Yes, I believe. But what are tokens? Of us? In England, we aspirate the H, and we say horse. Only our lower classes say horse. Hashtag England, Angleterre. England! The French gentleman does not respond. In my experience, Frenchmen may also be hard of hearing. As the guests begin to drift away, Potsnap reflects on the success of the evening. It is the end of a satisfying day, satisfying birthday party for the young person. Oh, I am an Englishman. Hashtag, I am an Englishman. <laughs> and on the failures. I invited the Frenchman after much self-debate. The whole European continent is an immortal alliance against the young person. Mr. Podsnap indeed, Mr. Podsnap. But who was that foreign gentleman? I can't remember why we were obligated to him. My dear, I wish I knew. Flourish of the arm. So glad of the opportunity. Hashtag, I am sure. <laughs> A successful evening all round then. Humiliation of Podsnap's too great. We'll never speak again. French tweeting, emphatically not for me. Hashtag Shane's Barrels. Hashtag Au Revoir Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> So I just thought I'd talk a little bit about kind of where the idea came from and how we sort of 
set it up <laughs> and so on. Um, so I guess it kind of it, it came from. Can I say this? Yeah. So we were in the pub, <laughs> um, and we were just kind of talking about sort of Dickens' characters and Dickens himself, and how they might kind of get on in a sort of modern kind of super connected social media type um, environment. Um, and then luckily we had the opportunity to actually test this out um, by kind of going alongside the serial reading project and sort of performing each instalment um, on Twitter each month. Um, and I think that's probably, the idea of connection was the thing that really sort of seemed to link um, the kind of Twitter space and the Dickens space. So a lot of his novels seem to be kind of sort of pivot around this idea that lots of different people from different kind of social circles are kind of interconnected in some way. Um, and that's one of the good things as well about Twitter, that you can follow Barack Obama, you can follow Kim Kardashian, you can follow transport flow and travel updates. Um, so it's a way of kind of um, sort of interacting with um, lots of different people, um, often in different countries or across kind of time zones. And so on, um, and so it seemed to us that this was kind of something that would really, would really kind of fit with um, with Dickens's way of uh, <laughs> of doing things. Um, and we also kind of wanted to find a way of, I guess, engaging as many people as possible within the, the reading project, um, and kind of encouraging people to sort of um, reflect on the instalment each month in a different way um, by by kind of doing this in character um, tweeting. And I guess it was it was also a way of I guess trying to sort of globalise the project because um, one of the great things about Twitter is that you can kind of interact with people on the other side of the world and have this conversation in character between Mr. Podsnap and uh, the French gentleman who um, Kit being in London and the person who actually played Mr. Podsnap online uh, being in California. <laughs> Um, which is, which I think is a really, a really amazing thing about it. Um, so to set it up, if anyone is planning on doing their own <laughs> Twitter project, um, it's very straightforward because one of the great things about Twitter is that it's free. Um, anyone can set up an account and you don't have to be yourself. It's not like Facebook where you've got to kind of confirm your identity. You're very welcome to tweet as uh, Mr. Beans a skeleton and no one will, <laughs> no one will shame you for it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it was just a case of kind of making, so I made an initial list of characters in the novel, um, sent out a kind of call for participants, um, then went back to my original list and had to modify it slightly because lots and lots of people wanted to be involved, um, which in the case that surprised me, I thought it would be me on my own. Which <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of went back to the novel um, and became a bit more creative with what I would call a character in the novel. So kind of, moved out into sort of bit parts, we had kind of drinkers in the Jolly Quarters pub, um, we had um, various items from Mr. Venus's shop, <laughs> including the skeleton and uh, Silas Wegg's other leg, um, the amputated one, <laughs> the alligator, who's been a real kind of star on Twitter, <laughs> um, kind of drawing a lot of energy. Um, I even had someone from the Jet Propulsion Lab in NASA who contacted me and asked if they could play the man in the moon 
Um, we were there before John Lewis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was our idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was something that really kind of seemed to, seemed to appeal to a lot of people. And I'm sure our tutors will kind of reflect a bit more on, on how it, it's also maybe shaped the way that they approach the novel and if it, if it kind of changed things. Um, and one of the, the things, once we've got all the accounts set up, was to kind of collect everyone together into a list. Um, which is called our mutual feed, which a brilliant Becky Higdon who came up with that. Um, and so this was just a way of, and one of the good things about this is that um, you don't have to be a member of Twitter to look at this page. Um, so you can kind of see all of the tweets um, together. We've got them from the, the foreign gentleman, um, Mr. Venus, and so on. Um, and so it was kind of just a way of collecting together um, everyone's contributions. Um, but the only thing with this is that you can keep scrolling and scrolling and you can go right back to, <laughs> um, to May when we started the project last year, which is, is too much for one sitting. You can't, you can't read the Dickens novel in one sitting and you can't read the whole Twitter feed in one sitting. So um, one of the um, things that I did to try and just make it a bit more manageable for people who maybe weren't familiar with the Twitter platform or um, who wanted to kind of follow along with the story. Um, one of the things about this feed is that the tweets that are linked together don't kind of um, connect, um, so you can't kind of read people's responses to each other. Although Twitter has kind of updated that as the project has gone along. Um, so what I did was kind of come up with the Storify, which is this page here. Oh, it's so plain. Um, so this was part one. Um, so what I did was basically just kind of collect together the tweets each month and um, just add in these bits of narration, which is what Pete was reading um, for that scene, which are a bit, I do, not, not entirely confident in the kind of style, but it was just a kind of general sort of faux Dickensian kind of, um, style that I was going for. So I, and I did worry when I was doing it whether I was being a bit kind of Dickens control freak and like in all the year out, um, household words, sorry, where he's kind of trying to make everyone talk in a more Dickensian style, and there was me kind of trying to sort of wrestle everyone back to following the, the line of the narrative, when actually, as you can see, people were just quite happy to tweet whatever they like, really, especially at the beginning. Um, so there was that kind of sense, and maybe we can talk about that a bit more in the Q&A, of that kind of tension between trying to keep to the story, but also allowing the project to kind of go outside the, the, the limits of the narrative. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to kind of stop there, I think, um, and pass it over to some of our tweeters. Um, so I think Pete is going to go first. <laughs> Lucky you, Pete. Hey, why not? Um, as he played our main character, Mr. John Rokesmith. I just put up a selection of your tweets which I enjoyed. Um, okay. <laughs> the Batman one. <laughs> um, Batman is yeah, vital to the character. I'll pass it over to Pete to talk about how it says to tweet as John Rokesmith. Just whoever. A nightmare is how it is. Hello, I'm Pete Orford and I am John Rokesmith. I am John Hartman. I am Judas Hanford. I am Man of the Beard. Anyone else care to name? Probably I am him as well. Was confusing. Um, people say to me, "How did you get to be John Rokesmith?" I was like, "I, I emailed Emma." <laughs> that, was, that was. I think it's one of the first ones to email her. She was like, "Oh yeah, you can play this." When, when you thought this would be very, you know, very, very popular, I was like, "Yeah, okay, I'll do that. That's fine." And we said, "How did you get that that far?" Um, it was great fun. Um, but we Emma gave us no set rules. I think you said 
don't talk to anyone that you haven't met in the book yet, so try to delay that. Otherwise, just, just go with it. Um, and very soon we can clear that there were no rules there. So my first, very first tweet was, um, I'm off to London later this week. Can anyone recommend what to see? I had the obvious places booked, hovels, police stations, etc. <laughs> I get a reply from Townfish, London. I'm F. Rokesmith. If you ever need a shout out or London help, follow us and we'll retweet to our followers. <laughs> I don't know that time it was a 19th century fictional creation. I'm going to have to visit the, the sites of London. But you know, but so it happened immediately, you, you can't tell how you're going to be read by other people as well. Um, I think the genius of this, uh, unintentional at first, is the anonymity of the tweeters. Which I don't think was, was ever a, a main driver, so we didn't just know who anyone was. But something that gave the freedom to say whatever you could and to, to be the character and have great fun imagining who the character might be. Um, and it, was, it made a democracy of it, that you had professors and doctors and postgrads and, and just people from, from enthusiasts just coming through and just speaking natural in other way, otherwise they may feel more awkward had they known who they were tweeting. Um, that said, it did then mean sometimes you were there waiting patiently, jumping your things going, where's, where's so-and-so to start the tweet that I can do my bit with? I, I can't say what they've tweeted, they're not, they're not tweeting it, I mean, why aren't they tweeting it? Um, if they're over in America, they're not awake yet, or something like that, and, and you'd find something you'd get into bizarre conversations at, at, at different times. When, when it did happen though, it made it all the more exciting, because it was sort of so spontaneous, that you'd suddenly find yourself in a, in a deep conversation, going back and forth, um, as you're brushing your teeth, about to go to bed, it's like, oh quick, now, now's the time. Okay, let's do it. Um, I tried to begin with to be in character after a while. I, I, I sort of just went less and less with that. Um, I got more and more 21st century with it because I thought we were on Twitter. So it is, you know, it's clearly as an acronym to begin with. Um, hence Batman references and so forth as well. Um, things you find when you're tweeting, firstly, there are lots of times where I'm not in it, and that's disappointing. Hence, hence my noise with Charlie. Um, and I, think I, I don't think many people did this, but I, was, I had a regular conversation with, with Charles Dickens. Yeah, Mr. Veneering as well. Mr. Veneering too, okay. Um, I regularly berated Charlie for not including me in the text and asking where I was. Because sometimes I'll be not in it, next month I'll be in every single chapter on every single page. I'm like, do you realize how many tweets that's going to involve me sending? Um, this month especially was very difficult because I was aware there was a, there was a queue of people waiting to, to, for me to get them going. Um, so I think on day one I had the inspector was favoriting me. So like, okay, great, and he's ready and ready to go. But I was waiting for Mortimer first to see me, so I had to wait for him and, and then to try and queue everyone up as well. Um, other things about this. The, the identity thing is very, very difficult because you are writing in character but not trying to reveal the plot because you haven't read it but trying to write this in first person in a way that doesn't contradict yourself is not easy um, such as, I mean first the whole thing of being John um, Harmon and not telling people that but, but acting in a way that it would make sense that you are John Harmon then the whole different Bella and the whole Mr. Boffin thing and again saying in such a way that you're not actually contradicting yourself I'd say, oh, the scene with Boffin was very gruesome this morning mm, you know, but not trying to say I'm actually scared but just, you know, it's all part of the act but not say it's an act either that was <laughs> great fun um, other than that, I don't know what can I say. Oh, one thing I did find about this. Rogsmith has a lot of one-on-one -on -one scenes, and one-on-one -on -one scenes don't make as big scenes on Twitter. Whereas the veneering scenes are huge because everyone's tweeting. So you get eight people tweeting at once, you get lots and lots of tweets generated from that. You get better and Rogsmith tweeting, and like it's it's one-on-one, -on -one, so you get like a few tweets. And so the big party scenes become much bigger on Twitter than the, the individual scenes, which are bigger in the book as well. So there's a distortion there. As a distortion of actually who's willing to tweet and how much they are. So Dusty Gator is just the star <laughs> of the book. But, well, yeah, who's not, you know, but I'll start to roll in the book as well. 
Um, I think that's more or less the main things I've found. I'm rather just sort of go on to discussion with everyone else really, but um, it was very fun. I really enjoyed it. I'm really sad. <laughs> I was genuinely sad. I, I, I got to the, I was getting to my, my, my final tweet going. I don't want to do my final tweet. I don't want to say goodbye to Rogesmith. Have a sense of mourning. I've really enjoyed it once a month doing this and going crazy with it. Um, it's digital kids. It's fine. Well, exactly. Okay. The, 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 the okay, calm yourself. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, and, and it was very fun actually realising who people were as well with Dickenstein and actually realising who I've been tweeting all this time. Silas Vega especially, like, oh, you're Silas Vega, oh, okay. <laughs> that was fun. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been very interesting and, and very liberating in a different way to get into the text as well, I thought. Over to my wife. <laughs> Good evening. <laughs> 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 yeah, although I, I have been Bella for like two years, it's quite sobering to realise how long mm. it's been going on. Um, when, back when we started, I was I was a big fan of the novel. I'm quite um, I'm I'm not actually a Dickensian in my in my academic life, but I was very fond of this novel and I I loved Bella. So um, I'm afraid I was being given that I was next to Emma in the pub. I got my I got my I snapped my post pretty quickly. And at the time, I was researching 1860s fashion. So this just dropped into my lap. And I decided, I was quite vanilla compared with Pete, especially at the beginning, although obviously being in a relationship with Rachel Smith dragged me into the anachronisms galore, <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. Um, but I went really hard for the whole fashionable teenager, Victorian teenager, mm. on Twitter. So there, was, there were lots of um, fashion plates, lots of references to kind of trends. I really enjoyed my hashtag work, I have to say. Some of those I'm quite proud of. Some I can even claim to have invented. Um, and I like to think that the Victorian Twitter sphere is richer because of my interventions, personally. Um, but yeah, I went, I went much more for that angle of contemporary stuff. And she, she kind of, she read some of the novels that are advertised, Bella was reading, some of the medications and kind of devices advertised, Bella was aware of, and, um, when she, uh, when she came into Wealth, it was that I had such a lot of fun imagining her, you know, going everywhere, seeing everything, um, and it was, it was brilliant. You know, hashtags like, uh, Movine is the new black was, you know, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. um, yeah, I think it was really interesting. I, I knew Pete and I knew who he was playing. Um, because, you know, just because I did, because he's it, pretty distinctive, but I didn't feel presence. But it was really fun. Actually, I like to think of our interactions as small but perfectly formed. Okay. <laughs> you know, they weren't, they weren't always the most kind of attention-grabbing, as you say, the big scenes were enormous fun to follow. But I have to say, Roke, Smith and Bella works really well digitally because um, I tended to keep my tweeting quite limited, which lent to the aloofness. But then Rokesmith was really on the button. Any time Bella said anything, Rokesmith was favouring it, favouriting it, retweeting it, debating with it. You know, he was really keen and doing all the digital courtship and chasing. <laughs> <laughs> and there was some. There was, it, was, it felt very, you know, very flattering. Okay. <laughs> Don't tell my wife. Okay. <laughs> um, and also, I've realised, looking at my history, that we're doing a weird sort of gender role. Thing in that I would I was much more likely, especially once a courtship got established, I was much more likely to be responding to what Rogesmith said than I was to be necessarily broadcasting things that Bella was doing independently. Which now I think about it, I feel rather sad about. But it just shows you what an effect Dickens's writing has. That obviously, once you're in a sweet little cottage with your baby and busy, then yes, you're doing less kind of tweeting. Whereas 
Rokesmith is still actually in the world, making sure the plot is rolling along. <laughs> and that is just sort of fantasising about baby booties. So I guess by the end, I was also confronted with, with the difficulty of what happens to such a spirited character when yeah. this volta fast happens and she has to work out what to do. And I'm not sure I handled it brilliantly, shall we say, but I had to work out how to maintain the idea that she was faithful to him, that she loved him, that by that point they'd been married at least, you know, a year and a bit, and there's, there's a lot invested. So that I, I went for this idea, I went quite lightly of the idea that she'd been improved or that, that she was a kind of... I, I tried to acknowledge that without making everybody revolted because it's one of those aspects of the book that I personally find tricky and I can see it in my own output. Um, and also because digitally, in an age where you can know almost everything about someone even before you've gone on a date by looking at what they've had for breakfast on Twitter or seeing what they say about their mother on Facebook, that idea that somebody's hiding a complete identity and a history all the way from me when lots of other people were in on it is, a, is almost a bigger, maybe a, a bigger sense of betrayal or a bigger sense of shock. You've got that digital life. I've, you know, I've seen all your tweets. You know, how can you be somebody different? So, that was something I, I ended up thinking about quite a lot in a strange sort of way. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, you liked digitally. Digitally. But I enjoyed it hugely, and I think it. I feel like it really enriched the way I read the book. I've never read Cyrene. I've never been that disciplined about it. But so much of the best and most fun stuff that I put on Twitter was straight from Dickens, was verbatim. And I felt really privileged to be getting really intimate with the text, to be looking into to be looking into all of the richest, pithiest things that he'd ever put in the mouth of one of his characters. Mm. So I loved it. Bradley Hairstone, all my favourites. Inside, he's not really lots of really saying much um, stuff to other people. Um, but yeah, it was it was quite fun because at the time I was working on my um, my thesis, which I finished in April this year, was about um, mad men in Victorian fiction, <laughs> masculinity and insanity. So, um, so Hudson was good fun, a little bit frightening. <laughs> um, <laughs> So for many of Dickens' contemporary readers, the consumption of novels like Our Mutual Friend was a communal experience, gathered around an adult, perhaps by the fireside, who would read aloud. Of course, others read it themselves in their private studies, drawing rooms and gardens, on public transport such as trains and omnibuses, on holiday, during lunch hour, or in bed. It is this first familial scene, however, which many of us nostalgically associate with Victorian readers of weekly and monthly serials. This is rarely the case now, when I go home to my parents over Christmas and some weekends, I can occasionally persuade my mum to indulge me by reading me a bedtime story. <laughs> oh. um, Paddington, maybe, um, or even Beatrix Potter, particularly if I'm ill, like I'm now. I um, but it seems from conversations with other literary academic colleagues that this isn't standard practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, parents may read to their younger children, but even this is far less common than it was, say, in the mid 20th century. 
With Reading Now usually being a solid street project, where effects online reading of our mutual friend in its original monthly instalments provided us with a rare opportunity to engage readers from all over the world with the pleasures of group reading. I knew that the idea would be really popular, but the scale, the geographical scope, and the keenness of the response was quite astonishing. I hadn't realised that we'd got as far as NASA, but it's <laughs> really exciting. Um, and the particularly inspired part of this idea was that we would tweet in character, mimicking the thoughts and conversations which take place in our mutual friend, based in the original language, but with plenty of opportunities for a modern twist through the use of some inventive and often really hilarious hashtags. Dickens's extraordinary cast of sophists, malingerers, busybodies, hypocrites, and what Nick, Noah Claypool, what our charitably calls downright bands, sprang to life before our eyes, day after day, month by month, and drawn together really beautifully in Emma's story by summaries. I'm always really wary of statements that begin, oh, Dickens would have loved, <laughs> <laughs> Dickens would have really approved, and got, got, get it a lot of, um, kind of parties and that kind of thing. Like, you don't know him like I do. <laughs> I don't think he would have um, so I hope, I hope it's not too snooty or scholarly of me to say that, but the fact is that we simply don't know. No one has yet unearthed a convenient time capsule that didn't thoughts. I know I said I didn't want to be buried in Westminster Abbey, but I was just trying to be modest and actually I'm so glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just joking with my will. Actually, I leave my fortune to X, Y, and Z. <laughs> Uh, by the by, if you ever do create a larger, fluffier version of those hand puppets I'm so fond of, you simply must have them act out a Christmas carol. <laughs> One day, if someone manages to create some sort of super-fast visual global telegraph network, sending letters, referring to dictionaries and encyclopedias, or seeing lots of photographs sped up really, really fast, then do be sure to get people to send notes to each other as if they really were in our mutual friend. <laughs> starts to get, starts to get slightly silly. But just this once, I will think myself a guilty pleasure of tentatively suggesting that if Dickens was alive today, he might actually quite enjoy what we've been doing on Twitter in the last 18 months. Um, provided, of course, that he maintained copyright and was paid an enormous amount. And I'm, I'm extremely delighted to find that the Honourable Mrs T is sitting right here next to me. Um, that was one of the great pleasures of the party. Um, my dog had a hilarious life of her own, and um, that was, I'm sure, everyone who was involved will agree. Um, well, certainly for me, it was a great pleasure. You know, as a lonely woman. But um, anyway, um, yeah, just to, just to sort of to pick up on a few things that other people have said before I go any further. Um, this whole thing about what Pete was saying about having to sort of orchestrate things and having to line everyone up before you can start your conversation. Great thing about Jen, you didn't really have to do that. Um, <laughs> if you wanted to go on a flight of fancy, that was brilliant. Dickens has given you license to do that, and um, that was something I, I thought was great. Um, and just to say the kind of dialogue with the kind of materiality of the monthly instalments. Um, Beatrice definitely was talking about how she engaged really well with the adverts and commented on them. And I found that fa a fascinating aspect of the reading experience as well, which of course you don't get if you're sitting there trawling through your three-volume codex. Um, so yeah, that, that was really enjoyable. Um, yes, okay, so um, just to sort of move on from that. Um, perceptions of Jenny Wren, I suppose what I'm really kind of going to concentrate on is um, how that changed by being inside as opposed to outside the character or trying to inhabit that character. 
So sometimes when we think about Jenny, we think about how others see her, okay, because the outside, the external is very visible and also her social role. So there's the disabilities and the way in which other people view her as a result. Um, her role as one of Dickens' kind of prematurely adult children. And there's always something kind of, I think we read as very tragic at the heart of that, um, which I actually found was less tragic in, in inhabiting her voice somehow. Um, yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think we'll all agree, despite her disabilities, Jenny is not really a figure of pity. Um, so the scenes of her are vital, and I think vital in two senses, um, both in imbuing the novel full of so much that it's dead and stagnant with humour and vitality, and also in the crucial role she plays in driving the plot forward at certain key moments. Um, so I guess my favourite moment was in part 18, which you may remember was when Jenny was dramatically rescues Raya from the clutches of Pub C and Co and gets some old fascination fledgedly into a bit of a pickle. Um, what I really liked about this um, was her unswerving sense of justice was combined with this kind of macabre humour there. Um, and it transforms her into a whole new, new character, sort of part sleuth and part avenging angel. Um, that Jenny turns at the end of this instalment from the role of avenging angel to ministering angel of the house to Eugene was one of a real, a real disappointment um, when you're playing her character. And it's something I kind of noticed less as a reader, but when I was playing her, I found that kind of turn from that real kind of sense of agency and spirit and kind of an overturning of all the kind of roles and duties that, you know, is the kind of dutiful woman in all sorts of ways that she plays in the novel. Um, I found that really exciting. And then to have that suddenly taken away at the end of that instalment when she becomes this kind of nursemaid um, angel of the house was, was really disappointing um, when I was playing her. Um, okay, so having said that, one area of freedom Dickens does allow her is linguistic inventiveness, and I think this is where Jenny's freedom really comes in the novel. You know, from her vituperative <coughs> insults to her bad child and the romantic flights of fancy, all that creativity um, was a really kind of fun and exciting part of recreating her voice. So that's very much what I went for. I kind of went for the method acting approach to this. I was trying to go for what would Jenny's voice look like um, in the form of, of Twitter. And I found it actually surprisingly easy. And I really think that if Jenny were here today, okay, so much going on here that's wrong as a literary critic. I do realise that. But if Jenny was here today, I think she'd have been an avid tweeter. And I think she would have been a bit of a troll. <laughs> I think she would only have trolled those who really deserved it. And it would have been totally fine. Um, so yeah, um, so I don't know if you guys remember or ever heard of this. So when Mary Beard was getting all the horrible trolling, um, Tony Law, the comic, became friends with her and trolled back <laughs> and did it in a wonderful way. And they had a delightful friendship that came out of that. Um, I think Jenny would have done that. You know, she's always sticking up for everyone. I mean, she might not always go about it in the way that we'd find. But yeah, I think she'd use Twitter as a real weapon. Um, so did inhabiting the role of Jenny change the way I read the book? Um, I, I think this is sort of things that people have talked about already. Um, the feeling of being part of a living community of readers, um, very different from that usual mode of kind of sitting alone with my slippers and reading in a very solitary way. And I, I like to think this brings us closer to the sense of a reading community that contemporary readers would have had, not just from reading aloud, but from that kind of broader social community, right? So the instalments would have been released, people would have read them, people would be discussing and commenting and... Um, you know, writing articles about them, and I think you, you had much more of a sense of that from, yeah, being involved. So I think that's all I really want to say.
Okay, um, so I chose Mr. Venus. Um, I imagine I was quite quick as well in choosing my character, wasn't I? Yeah. Um, first of all, because he's one of my favourite characters in my, one of my favourite Dickens books, but also I'd recently done some taxidermy of my own, so I kind of had a little bit of, you know, hands-on insight into how the world might work. Um, but that said, um, there were two things really, a couple of things I had to be kind of quite mindful of when I approached his character. First of all, he was, like Pete was saying earlier, he was one of those characters involved in one of the more secret plots where you don't necessarily want to reveal absolutely everything that's going on. Um, and also, he's a relatively minor character who's not particularly interactive, he's a very uninteractive character. I mean, there's Wegg, there's Pleasant, there's Mr. Boffin, there's John Rokesmith, but I don't think he would have tweeted now. If he was alive now, he would, I don't think he'd be a big tweeter himself. Um, so I had to kind of think about how I'd approach that and maybe some of the other ways that I could get involved because otherwise I wouldn't really be saying very much. Um, in terms of the voice and the sort of style I took on, um, I was very mindful of kind of Timothy Spall's kind of version. He's a very sort of Eeyore-ish kind of character, isn't he? So when I first sort of started, the first sort of few months of tweeting, there were lots of sighs and lots of melancholia and things like that, talking about how sad things are. Um, but I, perhaps I didn't think that was going to get me very far, kind of, I couldn't go on like that forever necessarily. So um, my feed kind of became almost kind of um, a mixture of kind of my private thoughts about Wegg and kind of the whole friendly move part of the story, which hopefully didn't have too many spoilers in because I knew the novel quite well, so I had to be mindful of that as well. Um, part kind of personal diary or a conversation with a confidant, that sort of, oh, you'll never guess I had in the back of my cab last week kind of thing. Um, so I was saying, oh, guess who's coming to the shop recently, that sort of thing. Um, a little bit of self-publicity, but again, I didn't necessarily think that would really suit Mr. Mr. Venus's style compared to, say, you know, Silas Wegg's sort of self-publicity um, and things like that. Um, some of my sort of favourite kind of moments and favourite things that went on, obviously, um, we've touched on it before, but the way that some of, my, some of the things in my shop kind of took on a life of their own. I mean, Dickens does, <coughs> excuse me, he does give us a little clue about that himself, talking about, um, you know, looking into the sort of the dark corners and seeing what you can see there and there might be some movement there or not. Um, but I thought this was, that was very Dickensian, that idea of all these things having their own sort of independent life. Um, you know, you think about things like John Carey, the violent effigy and that sort of animism of the, of the inanimate. So I thought that was quite a nice strand that sort of people sort of picked up on. Um, I was quite big, again like <coughs> Pete, I was quite big on the uh, sort of contemporary references, sort of pop culture kind of stuff. Um, so sometimes I try and think about things that were going on in the news, in the world, and try and think if there was a sort of Mr. Venus type spin on it. So a good example of that is in the top left-hand corner. Um, so this was when the whole, during the World Football World Cup, Luis Suarez bit one of another, bit another player, and that was quite a big deal. So I had to try and think of a way perhaps I could kind of weave that kind of way in, um, into there as well. Obviously, um, events, things like New Year's Eve, news resolutions, things like that, I thought that would be quite a good way to kind of spin it, so as you can see, <laughs> I think I came up with five, um, so yeah, so I, think, so I think from that kind of melancholic time character that I probably started with, I wanted to kind of have a bit more fun with it, and you know, he doesn't have a big plot role to play, so I thought maybe I could kind of go down a kind of slightly different route, really. Um, I tended to sort of cluster my, um, my tweets around my instalments, bar maybe one or two, um, and I think perhaps if I kind of, you know, if you have any regrets about these things, I perhaps would have liked to have kind of got out, of, got out a bit more, perhaps, um, and sort of wander around some of the other instalments. Um, but then, 
there's that danger of kind of pollution and, and sort of dilution. I don't know really. Um, I mean, maybe when we open it up a bit later on, we can talk about how we can perhaps see this as maybe kind of an adaptation of the novel in itself and what you could do with that. I mean, um, those of you that were at um, Dickens Day long ago, Holly was talking about kind of fan fiction um, and the way that people kind of take a story and they kind of write their own versions of it or the sequels to it and things like that. And I wonder whether some of, what, some of that might be kind of this alternative, what we could do with that alternative our mutual friend universe, either within this, the episodes we've already done or afterwards, because a lot of people say, oh, it's very sad that it's kind of come to an end, but whether you get the momentum, I don't know, but whether you could kind of carry it on into like some monsters, I don't know. Anyway, I've loved it as well. It's been great fun. Um, and yeah, I'd be interested to hear what everyone else thinks. Thank you. Okay, and last but not least, um, we've got kids to talk about being that sadly unnamed, the foreign gentleman, <laughs> <laughs> um, or owner oh, Frenchman, as he is on Twitter. Um, okay, <laughs> okay um, well, I played the foreign gentleman. Um, that was for the installment for August 2014, and um, uh, it was in the pub um, when Emma asked me. Uh, the project, do you want to be the foreign gentleman? I said, oh, what's that? <laughs> um, so she sent me um, the thing to read, and I thought, oh, God, yeah, that, that sounds really good. So um, so I didn't have to plead for a role or anything, so it's just given to me. So um, I was really pleased to have that. Um, it was actually, uh, I'd never been on Twitter, so I actually had to join Twitter for the first time to, to do this. And I think it was really <coughs> to actually pretend to be someone else as well for my first time. And I think I took that to be a license to be silly. So um, that, that was the way that I went with um, the foreign gentleman. Um, I think I also wanted to express his Frenchness very much. And I couldn't think of a way of doing that really apart from trying to put an, an accent on. And it was kind of allo allo kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, and uh, as, as you heard from the reading, um, uh, he, the foreign gentleman was uh, a bit of an incidental character, but um, I, I just sort of, the more I thought about him, the more I thought, oh, he's such a great character. I just wanted to sort of amplify um, his presence um, via the Twitter, and I hope I've done that. Um, so I I just tried in inventing a backstory for him, and in, I think yesterday and the day before, I don't know if it's one of those up there, but um, maybe not. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> there, there, was, uh, I was, uh, there was some tweets from the foreign gentleman just um, trying to think about uh, crossing the channel um, and thinking about duty free. <laughs> 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 I, I think those are one of my um, best tweets <laughs> uh, yesterday and the day before. Um, uh, th there wasn't much dialogue um, that he had um, in Dickens' text, so I think the way that I approached it in Twitter, it was really a dialogue with himself, all his tweets. Um, and. It's gloriously anachronistic. I just, I just love that. Um, but when I was trying to think about how to, um, to uh, sort of convey his Frenchness, I just kept thinking back to learning French for the first time at school. So I thought, oh, how, how did you learn French? Oh, well, you had to 
try and translate sentences like, I went to the supermarket and I bought 10 kilos of cheese, and there were lots of <laughs> tweets about that in the beginning. <laughs> and um, just playing with words um, in the way that Dickens does. Um, so lots of things about pret manger and cheese, and lots of things about his clothes, uh, talking about his cravats that he wanted to wear and going to the party because he just wanted to present himself um, well to Mr. Podsnap. So Pret-a-Porter, that play <laughs> as well. Uh, and also, um, I, I think I wanted to match the superiority complex of Podsnap himself. So um, it, it's kind of a, not really undermining Dickens' text, but just kind of playing the comic um, element of that, if you did want to um, match um, the superiority complex of Podsnap. So, um, so, so then I decided, you can see from the avatar, um, it's actually Napoleon the <laughs> <laughs> Third. Um, it was actually a happy coincidence that I happened to be working on Napoleon the Third at the time when um, Emma asked me to do this. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll put him on an horse. To my fellow tweeters, did you find? I don't know. I found that comedy was far easier on Twitter mm. than, than tragedy and pathos. Mm-hmm. As far as to make just pithy, you know, joker remarks. Actually, we actually end up emailing me and say, "Can we do our, our dialogue at some point?" And actually, sit down and try and organise it. I scheduled. A, I scheduled organisation. Yeah. I scheduled our failed proposal. You, you said, "Oi, P, email me at this time." Well, I was like, "Okay, fine." And I actually had a book in hand, going through the proposal, going, "Let's do it word by word." And, and it felt it was good, but I also felt that, you know, a lot of the, well, I still felt like I wanted to make jokes as well. And I felt more natural. And I think the version we've done is far funnier. Mm. <laughs> Not necessarily a better thing, but it's far funnier than instead of we've done lots more jokes on the way as well. And that, that seemed to be quite natural. Mm. Because Twitter isn't, you know, it isn't where you, unless, well, there's a certain type of Twitter who does document their struggles and sadness and despair, mm. but it's mm. a flip glib. Format, but I felt very strongly. Actually, it was more of a timing thing. I wanted to be, I wanted to be present because because you were so on the ball. But I often, I often needed to kind of sit down and devote time to it. And like you, I was going through the book and thinking, God, what can I bear to leave out? Because it was so important to get an understanding of their characters. I, I, I think it definitely deals in extremities. I mean, mm. I think that's the thing. Like, and you know, with my character, I thought, yes, the comedy, but also the anger. Um, and uh, yes, Twitter is good for funny and angry, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then yes, and anything else starts starts to feel a bit flat in comparison. And um, yeah, I mean, we all know the good and the certainly also the very bad ways that affects sort of political discourse and public discourse more broadly. But yeah, I think that was equally true in this. Especially with the short, the short length, yeah, characters, exactly. it is. Yeah. Um, 140 characters, you can't really, there's much room for nuance. No. Um, and to be, I don't know if I'm straight, so there's a short length. Yeah, I was going to ask actually, how many of you joined
the first time for this project? Was it just kids? Me, yeah, I did. Okay. So, I was just wondering about you know the the, the structure and the nature of Twitter, how how it felt. Because I joined Twitter, I, I ran the main OMF um, account. I had to join Twitter, and I, I had this weekend of kind of head banging <laughs> frustration trying to understand how Twitter works. And, and mm. unfortunately, I had dozens and dozens of tweets from characters <laughs> coming in, um, so it was all a bit stressful. <laughs> things like the 140 characters, which obviously leads to a kind of imaginative engagement and some really creative solutions. But did you ever sort of chafe against that and, and find it frustrating? A lot of drafting and redrafting. Right. Kind of, this is what I want to say, but I'm like, you know, 50, 60 characters over what I can. So Twitter has that thing where the, the text turns red. Yeah. Down the red text. Mm. I think yeah. earlier on Emma said, you must, on every tweet, put hashtag oh, yeah. tweets. Yeah. And very like, I've got a dish hack, I'm not a bit not, I'll pull that on every time. So it's dish the hashtag very quickly. But I was careful when I thought it was really important that it was there, mm. so yeah. that it could, so that it kind of almost was a spotlight for me, but mm. obviously there were lots of people who were really diligent in putting mm. mm. I'd like to do this uh, 140 character limit to make you think about the, the length of dialogues in the text itself. Gotcha. How did you feel? Yeah, I had a Word document. I had a Word document, so everything, like, as Jonathan said, you know, I. I tried to get the kind of nugget of all of those wonderful lines that Bella says, and I don't want to lose them. You know, it's not about, oh, you treat me like a dog or a horse or a package. You know, I wanted it to be there. So sometimes they'd have to go into hashtags so that I could make the sentence work. Yeah. And that a real Dickens fan, a reader, would be able to say, I know that quote. Mm -hmm. But obviously, it's a, it's a functional thing as well. So did you draft yeah. in the word and then transfer yeah. it? Yeah, which did I know sounds like antediluvian, but I just felt it was so important to get, and it's a, it's a word, it's a word platform, and I just thought it was really important. Is it worth just explaining what a hashtag is? Oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't, um, I used Twitter for a couple of years and hadn't understood what the hashtag was supposed to do, but somebody explained it to me when I was, you know, geriatric in digital terms, that it makes your tweets more visible. It's a, it's a label, people can search for it, and obviously no one else is going to be searching for Moving is a new black, but people might be searching for pretty people problems, which Bella sometimes did use. And it meant that, and all I tweeted once about about our secret marriage, and I put something like hashtag elopement or hashtag wedding day, and you would not believe how many bridal accounts started following me. And I thought, <laughs> like, like your like your anecdote, Pete. You know, suddenly there's a whole digital sphere which is interested in Bella Wilf. Well, I think it's it's quite take on the original idea is that it's like if you're following a, a TV show and you, you want to be about. Great British Bake Off, everyone goes to hashtag GBBO. So yeah. then you can you can join you can search for that particular hashtag and join everyone around the world who's tweeting about that at the time. Mm -hmm. That's how it begins, but actually it's taken a whole nother life where it's become like a, a commentary point, as you just mm -hmm. at the end of a, a joking yeah. hashtag almost quite often as well, probably we're doing a lot of time. Yeah, or something you say your breath or kind of yeah. Exactly. Hashtag a summary, Side. almost like yeah. a, a commentary yeah. upon your own tweet yeah. in a way as well. But did, did you have to research to see whether that hashtag had got any I think presence on, on online, or did you just make one up? Yeah, I don't want to search for a lot of mine. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Silly things. I was writing some more documents. I, 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 I'm a bucking two days a week, and this week I'm at home with kids, so I do a lot of my work on the phone. Normally like this, or like this with a child up here or something as well. <laughs> like, oh, it's on sweet of me, I'm just, I'm just like, oh, okay, do a quick tweet there. And I've got a vague idea of what to have on that. So I read the book the night before, vague I'm like, oh, just tweet, ah, there you go, and done. So I was much more kind of just, I just make stuff. I go, oh, showing off. Oh, yeah. Oh. Digitally brilliant with 
Well, no, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, bouncing no, baby. No, I mean, uh, I don't know. Yeah, sorry. No, no, go. I was just going to make one more comment on that. It's that selection, isn't it? It's that. It's about, um, you know, sifting through the instalments and then selecting. I mean, I, yeah. I felt with Jenny, you know, you didn't necessarily have in terms of the plot that much to say, but you had some great stuff that she said. <laughs> so then it's like, how do you choose the sort of two or three best things to 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 put on? And and with that, is that that. that who are we writing this for? Are we writing this for somebody who's read the book or someone who hasn't read the book? Are we doing some alternative to the book or commentary on the book? Mm. Because if you're doing it as, a, as someone who hasn't read the book, there is that like, need to be very faithful and try to recreate exactly word by word. Mm. But it's a commentary, you can kind of be more fascinated as well, and, and reference points as well, but also go beyond the be, and, and I also thought I didn't want to quote exactly from the book, but just kind of refer to it, mm. so people really will get that as well. Actually, that, that comes to my question, which is actually just about, um, how the decision you made in terms of what this would be for. I imagined, when I didn't know anything about this, that you would you were asking people to read serially and then take on a character as a character appeared and perhaps between instalments had conversations in character, perhaps anticipating what was going to happen, perhaps dialoguing with people back at the beginning, etc etc but what it seems to be and I just wanted to clarify the ground rules the ground rules are that each instalment characters have to at a particular time wait for each other to come on come online tweet the instalment told in kind of 140 characters in dialogue with each other so there might be what you know 50 60 tweets for an instalment and then and then leave until next time, is that, is that correct? That's kind of how it, it turned out. I, okay. When I kind of envisioned it, I thought that it would be much more, yeah, that we kind of, we do the main events on the first of the month, and then the rest of the month would be, um, I think I kind of overestimated how much people would do. Okay. Um, and so, as the project went on, I think, because it was such a long-running project, I think um, it got a bit quieter on the feed, and people would generally just kind of focus on the main what had happened in that instalment. Mm-hmm. Um, so the kind of sort of extra conversations between, especially Mr. Venus's shop, was it was very lively at the start, and then it kind of quietened down. So the yeah, so that the rules were were not excluding that kind of yeah. development. Yeah. I think Which rules are very strong words. Suggestions, yeah. That worked for textually because mm. then the conversations between people like Eugene and Mortimer mm. were often very kind of larky and laddie, or Lady Chickens went on a bender one day after the party <laughs> and fell in the river, and she was hysterical. And I remember laughing and laughing at my desk. But then, oddly enough, when people like um, the, the, character, the person playing Betty Higdon, what, Betty Higdon's kind of first tweets were, were misspelled and they came at the wrong time, and actually that really worked. You know, that sense of somebody who's quite old and adjusting to new technology, it added a layer of metatextual kind of a sense that they really had their own in a strange sort of way, animating force. I think, there's something, sorry, I think there's something interesting here about the, the space between the installments, because the, the other two reading projects, Taylor Two Cities and No Name Weekly, so that was very quick. Yes, and, and, and they seem quite sort of elephantine now. Yeah. <laughs> in retrospect, yeah. rather than this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, because they, what tended to happen is there was a, well, there was a rotor um, for who was going to lead off the post, and um, you would you know, dutifully read up the in, instalment the, the, the night before, or on, on password. Um, um, and then think, well, I now have to write a thousand words. 
Um, and I remember emailing Joanne Shattuck um, sort of off the, um, the, the, the blog to, to discuss what kind of voice you would, you, you would have because you didn't know if you were writing for an academic audience or um, if you could afford to be jokey. <laughs> you know, there was this great uh, sort of trepidation. We, we, we didn't want to bring a, a, a blush to the face of a man. Another vision of Clark and Lima Superman, Superman 3. But uh, it's split dramatically with this one because you had the tweets were very jokey, that's so fun. And what that meant is that the, the actual blog itself got very academic. And you think with Tell City, we, we very quickly, we, we start Tell City with we all intention. I remember you trying to bring in queer theory on Tell City, going, well, this is interesting what's going on here, and, and getting shot down in play. <laughs> going, no, no, we want to say what's going on with Lisa Minette, we don't like her, let's talk about her as a character. And, and I was like, all right, let's do that instead, and, and going down a more conversational route. Whereas with our mutual friend, the, the blogs have been much more sort of traditional academic, and all the conversation, the generation of the joke has been happening on Twitter instead. It's, it's gone very much two poles on that way. Yeah, and if you look at the interaction, First of the month when we have the post, there would be a, a small, smallish spike of activity, and then the rest of the month it would just flatline. And uh, that's why we started to have a post in the middle of the month to try and slightly prop up the blog. But I mean, I, the Twitter experiment is glorious and a wonderful thing, but I think it probably did cannibalise the blog to certain extent because people thought, well, why should I respond to this, this you know, lovely little academic essay on something so not that I can go over and did anybody go do all three? Because I mean, we had at our um, meeting in Berkeley on Saturday, we had Mr. Boolan, um, who was a major blogger on Taylor Three Cities and Learning, and a major text corrector. Mm. But I don't know whether he came on or into. I don't think he got involved in, in any way. No, I mean Mr. Boolan was, was that sort of elusive quantity, wasn't he? The, the, dare I say, the common reader, the, uh, the non-academic specialist non-specialists. Um, I mean, I've, you know, this is one of the questions here, um, which I think maybe we're thinking about now. Um, are we truly broadening awareness? Um, you know, is, is this just a bunch of academics larking about, which is fine? <laughs> uh, did everybody have a sense of, of new readers getting involved or non-specialists? My housemates got quite keen, oh, okay. especially when the when the Storify came out. I think that was really vital in terms of drawing mm. things together. Otherwise, I felt like there was a bit of a danger that it might become sort of a bit of an in joke. Mm. That actually, if you were new to the novel or new to Twitter or both, then mm. it could be could be a bit much, mm. and you could feel a bit excluded. Everyone seems to be having such a hilarious time, actually, you don't even know what's going on in the plot. Yeah. So, I think it was really important to have those kind of ties to sort of ground it in it's maybe the well, importance as well as the as well as the film. Yeah, it's maybe worth explaining that if you, if you are on Twitter in your personal capacity, to you would have to follow these characters, wouldn't you, to, yeah. to, to, get to have their tweets. Mm -hmm. Visible, um, or or you would have to, to look up hashtags, or, or you could just <coughs> search for the characters. So, I mean, perhaps that was that was quite a big ask to expect people to just come on board and follow mm. and to be able to. I mean, that that was the great thing about the Storyify, and I think it's quite interesting that we had to bring all of these kind of disparate tweets and conversations back into a kind of narrative form where you're almost retelling the novel, because on Twitter these things are. 
lost in a cascade of, of whoever else you're following. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We did have non-academic followers for my Rosemont account. Okay. people who just, just randomly wanted to follow accounts. Well, Pete, your GIFs alone would have made me follow you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. It was very strange moments when I was in conversation with myself. I was, I was, oh, right. One moment I was, I was, I was, mo- I was, mo- I was moving my Bella and I started doing either the Rokey Cokey or, no, it was, it was police. I started doing every breath you take, I started quoting every breath you take. And then me personally had that song stuck in my head as a consequence. So then on Twitter, I, I angrily said to Omar Frick, you have got a song stuck in my head, I Omar Frick Smith. Talking to myself. <laughs> so I don't reply, I'm very sorry for you talking to do this. And I go, what the hell am I doing to myself? And I think I was trying at that point to, because you said, I know who you are. So I was trying to do double blows and put it off the fact that I'm not Omar Frick Smith. And, but it got very strange when suddenly you're doing entire separate dialogues. You're so meta and you don't even know. I'm meta, I'm meta, I'm meta, meta, yes, exactly. Yeah, meta square. Because I have the the sort of central OMF um, Twitter account, and, and I would see all of these tweets um, coming in on the first of the month. I actually have to switch Twitter notifications off on my phone because <laughs> it would explode on the first of the month. And then I, I would retweet them, which is where where you sort of um, reproduce a tweet. But I realised that actually a lot of people were, were following this account and that it was becoming a kind of central hub for the story and I think there was one month where I forgot to tweet and so it wasn't Louise that said nobody's tweeting this month what's going on and we realised it was just because I hadn't been retweeting so um, I sort of realised that that it's quite useful to have this central account there's one of them yes I take it very seriously could I just ask how many people actually read from the facsimile? Yeah, I did. Mm. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, gotcha. I did for every instalment, but I did for most. That's definitely what I was planning to do. And how easy is it to get from the the Twitter to the instalments? It's on the main page, isn't it? So it's a link on here to the page. Yeah. We yeah. also so don't have our handle. Yeah, we have a difficulties, but afterwards it was just straightforward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is from Leon Litvats, Belfast. But yeah, I mean, the choice of novel was, I mean, it was partly because the dates coincided and we thought it would be fantastic to have a 150th anniversary project. But also it was the fact that... It was because we were looking for something that would celebrate the, the 10th anniversary of 19. Yeah. I mean, that was the original. And so yeah. we said, it would be great if we had a Dickens novel. And then, oh! Dates out. And then I remember very trepidatiously typing into Google our mutual friend's uh, e-version yeah. digitised. And, and, and thankfully, Belfast, um, you know, we were back and do they keep an eye on you know how many hit traffic? I don't know. I should ask the other actually. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that, that they saw a spike in traffic. Because I mean, this has been for quite a long time. So their Google Analytics page ought to sort of go back several years, yeah. and then you just be able to see if there's a little bit of a. Of a well, you hope it's a sort of mess it down. Well, this is the thing with all the digital reading is, is this, 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 
contradicts in terms of trying to go back to the original by putting it online. Mm. So they're not reading the original book, but they are seeing it as the original was done by seeing the, the original manuscript. So is it more authentic to read like this, or to actually read a book mm. instead? You know, by seeing it on screen, are you getting a more authentic experience or less authentic experience by doing this? Yeah. My, I was talking to my mate about this this morning, and I was trying to explain to her about that we were trying to really get that sense of every month a hit, mm-hmm. you know, and people, I mean, using all those anecdotes about people standing on the key and shouting mm-hmm. as little Nell there No, I think that's actually true, is that? Is that verified? She is there, yes. Well, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for relieving me. That's okay, that's right. She said the There's a long thing on the Victoria list about whether it was true or not. Um, And so long, and nobody has been able to verify. It's still a (laughs) podcast. But my mate said, "Oh, you mean like a podcast?" Last Mm. last year there was a podcast called Serial, and it would come out in weekly installments. And I knew people who would stay awake till one in the morning because it was an American thing and download it the minute it became available. And I think that's one of the few parallels, because obviously now everything's on demand and streaming and you can get at it whenever you like, but I'm just trying to think of a comparable, that she just volunteered this format, that you are hooked, you're waiting for something, and you have to wait until you can experience it, and then you have to devote yourself to it. It's interesting that we're doing this at a time when actually we're going away from serialised television towards yeah. binge watching. Yeah. With Netflix and so exactly. from box sets, we're doing more and more now, basically, what we've been doing with books all the time, we've been them in one collective edition rather than week by week. But what I like about sitting down is, on, at say nine o'clock on a Sunday night, is knowing that all sorts of people across the nation, oh. across the world, are watching the same thing at the same at time the same as time. me. Like there's that joy <laughs> and that, yeah. that, that, that that story about the first tea break in Downton Abbey. You know, the nation's power experienced a surge because everyone was putting their kettle on and getting ready for the next. I think I think Dickens would have had a lot to <laughs> a lot to think about if he could see this project. Thank you, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, yeah. I I do think that. The Twitter does bring you into that community, doesn't it? I mean, it's not just a question of um, with a podcast, you're still sort of sitting in your bedroom listening to something, um, unless there is a sort of a, a forum for it, or you know, there's you know some other space for that. But yeah, the the, twi- the Twitter account does bring you more immediately into a, yeah, into a dialogue. I have, I have friends who only use Twitter for watching television. I mean, not watching television on Twitter, but taking part in that conversation. Great wish to make off the apprentice. Um, but I think, again, going down anonymity, this whole thing too. When we were doing Territory Cities, No Name, they're trying to get people to comment on it. And, and even now, years after, people go, oh, I follow that every week. Go, really? We had no idea because you were not on the blog at all. But no, I read it every week. Well, that's great, but where were you? And so if you ever teach, you have this people in your, in your class who are quiet and don't talk. You can see and you can bring them in. If you're on the internet, if they're being quiet, you cannot see them. You don't know who's out there. Um, and a lot of people say, well, I don't know what to say. I feel like, I'm, that's my first time reading the book. I feel very much, I don't want to say anything. I'd be embarrassed. With the anonymity of Twitter, they, it took away that entire fear of embarrassment. And you know, it was whatever they wanted to because they weren't being judged themselves, being judged as the character. And it was just yeah. down to the character as well. But also we're academics, and if you're an academic reading an academic blog, and the OMF blog was definitively, I mean beautifully academic, you don't want to just put some lazy, mispunctuated <laughs> comment underneath, like, oh, really enjoyed this, ha, you know, And actually, when it comes down to the, forgive me, impact gods, I don't actually care. You know, I think as long as somebody's enjoying it, having a good time, I think Dickens gets plenty of popular love. I would absolutely adore it if something like this brought people to read the book, but I suspect things like adaptations are still much more likely to take them there. Whereas for this, I almost thought of it as like an Easter egg for people who had actually read the novel, which maybe is a failure of my imagination, but 
I just, I don't mind. I think as long as it's giving somebody pleasure. And a lot of those jokes must have been, there must have been so many in-jokes in there in the original novel as well. He must have, you know, presented little sketches. There would have been some people who were more in on the joke than others. So in a way, I'm kind of happy. The pub is actually based on How many participants did we have in the end? How many? 51. That's a lot of people. Even if we were only talking to ourselves, I still feel like that's an enormous commitment of time and energy and love. Um, there's one thing I wanted to sort of bring up, and I don't know if anyone else thought about this. Um, it's sort of reflections on how this might impact teaching practice. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we usually don't have enough time with a single 19th century novel in order to do something like this. Um, but I do think it, it did encourage me to think more creatively about ways to make students engage. Like, I have done things in class, like make students do a Twitter, a Twitter length response to a particular te text or a particular passage. Um, and I also think, you know, for teaching more broadly, because my background is I used to be a secondary school teacher, um, and I think it's a wonderful way to teach any novel at that level, I mean, and to get students engaged. So I think, I think there are sort of pedagogic um, reflections that came out of this. I, I agree, but again, I had a choice of tech, because we, we were talking about, like, oh, what's the next thing going to be? You know, and, and actually, you think, paper and paper, that'd be fun. No, it wouldn't, because it's too linear. I mean, people are waiting for, like, you know, month 18 to come in. And actually, you need something like we got a, a huge cast of characters in the beginning. And, and, and I think the question is, would it be full text? Could we do for all text? Does it have to be a popular text, a well-known text? Could we do no name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did find no name didn't get the same kind of response as Tell did. And that's probably because it wasn't bicentenary, you know, but it wasn't Dickens and other things too. I love George Text, uh, text tweet or anything like that. 
Sorry. A lot of my stuff wasn't really from the novel. <laughs> All the contemporary stuff and kind of things that were going on. Uh, because I, I think Mr. Venus hasn't got a massive role to play in the story mm -hmm. anyway. I love the idea of kind of measure each character in terms of presence in the novel yeah. versus presence on Twitter. Yeah. Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. I guess for some characters like Pete's maybe it might be kind of commensurate mm -hmm. I guess because you tweet a lot and do mm -hmm. the novel quite a lot but for other characters it might be kind of quite skewed one way or the other so you might have a major character who's not really on Twitter very much mm -hmm. or you might get a minor character who's on Twitter all the time. So. Yeah. There you go, that's something for you to do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Run away and measure them all. Yeah, I think also do I, the, um, the storify, not storify, is this is a narrator. The storify, you put, mm. in, you put in that narrator voice. Yeah. Mm. With Twitter, I say it's confusing, but actually that's quite interesting that there is no narrator. That everyone's talking mm. themselves. There is no one to go, here's the hero, here's what's happening mm. now. You've literally got everyone's own account of what's happening. Mm. And you have to make your own mind up about who is who's telling the truth, who's being truthful, yeah. who's who's actually being accurate. That you know, it's that's much more. And that's glorious. Isn't it with our mutual friend when I think the second or third installment they actually put a slip in saying the title of our mutual friend will become clear later in the novel because yeah. people found the first installment so confusing and they were like, who's mm -hmm. the hero? There's so many voices <laughs> yeah. like, talking at once. Mm -hmm. So. Twitter certainly is a reproduced that. I just noticed Lady Tippin is taking advantage of the new um, oh poll um, elements on Twitter where you can set up your own polls. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite unhappy as Lizzie Hexham, but currently she seems to be at Lizzie. <laughs> 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 well, it's because you know, Lady Tippin is about to all society people. Of course her mates are going to say, oh, I fell away. I was like, log in before I mutualized both of the cats. I'm quite protective of Lizzie. <laughs> I just wanted to stick my oar in and say, Emma and I, in some ways, tweeting from the actual text can be, that we were talking about emotion, tweeting from the actual text could be quite hard. So one rainy rainy day, Emma and I were sitting in the office and we said, oh God, we'd better do the scene where Lizzie and Bella become friends. And it was really, it was really heartbreaking to have to cut out some of the kind of gem-like little trusting motions they made towards another mother because we realised that they actually... Many of the young women in the novel are remarkably friendless. People like Georgiana Podsnap, 
and Bella and Lizzie, they just don't have coffee dot and friends. So when you see a scene that Dickens writes so beautifully, he understands so well how women can scope each other out and find sympathy. And it was it was a really moving scene. I, and I loved that I was able to do it next to my friend, but at the same time I thought, God, we're leaving so much out. <laughs> well, were there moments when people felt they wanted to sort of develop characters or or, or, or sort of change dynamics in scenes. So, for example, I think if I'd play Bradley Headstone, I mean, I, I feel so sorry for him. He's such a wonderful character, and I'd want to somehow make the case for him or something like this. I mean, were the rules that you weren't allowed to do that, or could you have just morphed into that area? If you felt? Yeah, that would have been totally... There were no kind of rules on that. that oh, interesting. Tools, so yeah, people did have rooms. And I was kind of hoping to encode that as a way of kind of... Re- like new readings of the novel, like new kind of physical readings. Um, Everybody seemed disappointed with the ending. <laughs> really? Well, or disappointed with, with developing their characters. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, definitely. Have you quite well out. <laughs> um, I didn't like Rochester in the book. I don't like when a character thought quite cribbish and really like him as a hero, but he's quite you know, self-righteous and everything, and any lies and deceives, I didn't like him at all. So actually playing Rogue was a challenge for me to actually make him likeable, um, and, and to kind of play with that route to make him more stalking. I thought it might be appropriate to bring up Silas Wedge Silas Wedge, yeah. 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 of how the story ends. <laughs> <laughs> I would change it. Um, so I completely change the character to try to make him more what I would like him to be. What about the... What about the female characters? Who, who yeah, I mean, I, I definitely felt frustrated. I mean, I know everyone loves Jenny and Sloppy at the end, but I definitely felt, you know, there, there was a moment where the option not to go down the conventional marriage plot road was available to that to Dickens with that character, and it wasn't taken, and uh, mm-hmm. that, that became frustrating as a tweeter. Um, so you really learnt a lot about character, mm. being the character. Yeah, yeah, it's a definitely. Kind of yeah, and it made me notice that kind of problem with the plot, if you like, um, which I certainly wouldn't have noticed reading it, didn't notice reading it, because you're kind of willing your way towards a resolution. You want the ends tied up as a, as a, as a reader, um, whereas when you're looking at it from a sort of modern take on a on the perspe- possible perspective of a character, then you, yeah. Did you maybe become more aware of the way he needs to weave, weave threads together and balance out narrative and so yeah, I mean, exactly. that's really good as well isn't it yeah yeah no definitely definitely because there's so many different plot threads and characters in this in this novel that it's you don't notice it i mean i certainly haven't i've only read it once before i started this project so um you know i certainly hadn't noticed everything so that was certainly something that i hadn't Someone just your tweet point and go, who is that character? No idea who this person is. You want to go back to the book and who is young gentleman? So I don't know. So did the man in the moon just speak once? Yeah, I'm not sure the man in the moon ever tweeted. I think it's a real disappointment to me that the man in the moon is mentioned in a sentence. It's, it's something with Mr. Boffin kind of stuff around. So was this NASA guy following in the day? It's a woman. NASA woman, sorry. Yeah. God, presumption. <laughs> Dickens um, is getting to you. <laughs> um, so was she following the project and reading yeah, that? That's so, so cool. I'm not sure how she came across it. So I guess um, it was advertised, the kind of the blog and stuff, mm-hmm. it was on the kind of usual sort of places like Victoria List and kind of mailing lists and stuff. But yeah, I'm, so I'm not sure which of these she kind of came across. Do we know age demographic of participants? Um, does, does, does it skew towards the younger? 
Yeah, this is something that Holly pointed out actually at, at After Kim's Day when there's that photo of us that we saw earlier. Nobody over 30. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> there we are, that's very kind. Because the Dickens text correctors were over 44% of the thousand or so. Um, were t- uh, 45 to si- in the 45 to 64 bracket. Yeah, I've burned with that because I was thinking of it. So the, the age bracket like 20 to 45, and I'm in that age bracket. I don't want to be that big an age bracket. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's true. That's a huge Well, actually, it would have be been better to sort of choose the born digital, you know, a bracket for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I don't think we did. Can I ask you a question about time travel, which is something that, that we've put <coughs> all the all the, the, the focus groups? I mean, it's just I, I suppose a very simple binary or a dialectic, whether, um, you know, about um, identification with a historical thing that was produced 150 years ago, whether you feel you're being drawn back to then, or whether you're wrestling with this and bringing it into, in, into the now. Um, I think we're on two sides of the fence here. <laughs> yeah, but cordially. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any thoughts? Well, yeah, I think, well, um, Beatrice Bella was very much uh, a... Uh, Go for 19th century photos and whatnot, and trying to make it contemporary. I was much making it relevant by bringing in shows of Beauty and the Beast and, and pictures of Batman and things like that. I quickly come out that this is a modern take on it, so let's, let's make it modern and make it relevant and bring in things we all appreciate. Um, sorry about it very much, 21st century. Um, do you think it doesn't do a good job of, of bringing up you know, the otherness of Dickens to the fore, really, this project? Do you feel I don't know. Sometimes it doesn't do that. I, I, just, I, I was just very self-aware as I was doing it. I mean, I think, like, um, like Helen was saying, with, with someone like Bradley, he's very private. So by putting his progress on Twitter, you're immediately kind of destroying Twitter because it's going to be public. And so you are kind of doing a, a false conceit there. Mm. And so in everything I think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm tweeting about this. So clearly I'm not a 19th century text. I'm, I'm in the 21st century, but I'm tweeting about 19th century text. And so I just felt quick, very quickly to make references about the, 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 the tweeting audience would get rather than a century audience would get, it seemed more appropriate, and, and that kind of more important. Uh, I, think it, I think it also depends on how you were reading and interact, how you're interacting with both media, right? So how you're interacting with the instalment, and then how you're interacting with the Twitter account. So my method was to read very, very carefully the instalments that I was going to tweet about, which were usually the ones that involved my character. I didn't tend to tweet outside of those instalments. Um, so it turned into a bit of a close reading exercise at first. So that created a real intimacy with the text and a real intimacy. Yes, yeah. and a real in, um, the facsimile mostly. Um, occasionally, when I wasn't sort of at my computer at that moment, occasionally in the novel in its codex form, um, that created a real intimacy with parts of the text and a real alienation from other parts of the text. So I became very intimately involved with the characters and the plot lines that my character was involved in and I became quite alienated and uninterested in the other bits. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's, that was quite an interesting. Did you, did you learn anything or did you, is there a way that you could tweet that somehow brings one closer to the 19th century at all? I mean, you, I think you were saying that you learned a lot about Jenny and thought yeah. quite intricately about disability and so on. Yeah, yeah, no, def- definitely. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, f- I think it, is, I think it is in the sense of. Does it? I mean, it depends what you, what you. I mean, I, I, I'm sort of thinking about 
what is our relationship with the text? Okay, and, and, I'm, and I'm sort of thinking, well, it brought me closer to those bits of the text that involved her. So then I guess, if you were to bring that out more broadly, it brought me closer to some of the issues that her character brings up, things about work, things about family role, things about disability and how other people see you compared to how you see yourself. Whereas, I, I mean, my view of Jenny was perhaps different to how you know, other characters viewed her and perhaps how other readers who were reading her with different priorities might have read her. Um, yeah, but I, I, I definitely took it as I loved giving glimpses into the era, but I just I think in lots of ways what the novel is, what the novel communicates is that people still sort of function in the same way, and we might have different status symbols, but we still have status symbols. The new Berenice, we still all love to kind of gossip about and laugh and look down on, and then slightly envy, and and we still treat people who are doing to be English in, in very comical ways, and and we still we're still obsessed with clothes, and we still all concentrate on fashioning a narrative, and whether we do it through how we dress, or what we tweet, or or you know what job we do. I just kept coming back to the fact that I, I believed in all these characters, almost all these characters. I, apart from the way, obviously, that with some of the with some of the women and the plot ties up, a bit of a shame. But the communities function in ways I completely recognise. I felt like I, I felt like I, I've met you know embittered old men who feel that their their chances passed. I've met people who play social roles, and I, I just felt like actually in terms of time. There was lots fundamentally that just didn't didn't need to be changed. Well, obviously, the anachronisms were hilarious, and they really showed that we still use all those narratives. But I just, frankly, I just I, I, in the in the advertisements, I found I think at least six companies which still function under the same names: Oxo, Boots. At one point, there was there was a bookseller whose name I recognised. You know, in a lot of ways, we shaped by that era, and it might be 150 years ago, but they still, you know, those ideas about being British. It's funny that that, that the extract should have been read out because I think there are plenty of people who still hold those opinions. <laughs> I, mean, I I really hate I hate it when people talk about the relevance of a 19th century book, but actually, that's really what you're talking about: the relevance of Dickens. He's so relevant these days. Yeah. But it's a it's kind of a universality argument, isn't it? And one doesn't feel that that goes far enough. It would be interesting to tweet a novel like um, The Old Curiosity Shop, which is still a novel that people really struggle with. Mm. It would be harder. So sort of and, and, and it's like mm. you said, the otherness is so the sense of otherness is so acute in a novel like mm. The Old Curiosity Shop. Mm. But he's really interesting. Think of what he's still in the shop. Tweet us. Yes. But he's still doing a, a lot of the same, the, the same things. So like whenever anybody's suffering, there's always a, you know, a group you know, <laughs> able to see it. So it's made into a little, a little stage show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some of the, I mean, social media does that too. So there's less sort of private, private suffering and quite a lot of exposed. Mm-hmm. Like they said, I mean, to, to completely low, um, just somber tone with the attacks in Paris last week, and everyone on Twitter just to say, feel really sorry about this, or I feel really sad about this. And, and to be able to go, well, why, why are people tweeting to say their most response to them actually there? Or people felt a need to go on and say, I feel sad about this, which is a fairly obvious set. Remember, millions were doing this around the world. There's a need to be publicly involved in it somewhere. I am publicly sorry about this event as well. So, is, I mean, is that an element of, of the 19th century, of 19th century culture and that comes of Dickens' novels that, that maybe just doesn't fit with just what is very difficult to tweet about, and that is a kind of, um, a sort of 
the, the great emphasis on privacy and on remaining silent about your suffering or your feeling, especially for female characters who who are sort of self-abnegating and, and, mm. and take on these domestic roles or minister to others. Maybe it's just very difficult to to use Twitter, which is this very loud, brash, 21st mm -hmm. century, shouty media to talk about quiet, domestic, mm -hmm. interior, sort of 19th century stuff. I remember chatting about whether it would be something like Dombey and sat next, and people were like, Florence mm -hmm. Dombey, never, 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 <laughs> never. Yeah. Do I mean Florence Dombey? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Maybe it's a bit like Lucy Minette and how much she Anyway, that, that, that takes us up to five o'clock on the dot. So, okay. oh, let's, let's all have a drink and carry on chatting. Mm. Thank, Thank you all you so much for coming.